Chapter Seventeen of Rebel Spurs by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Drew struggled wildly, but could not break the grip which held him down. He was looking up into the face of Greyfeather, and none of his writhing made any impression on the Pima's hold. There was a sprinkling of shots, then a whirl of the wind brought sand up over them, blinding eyes filling mouth and nose. Even the Indian flinched from that, and Drew managed to tear loose. He rolled down the grade, bringing up against a small tree with a jolt which drove most of the air from his laboring lungs. He pulled his arm up across his face, trying to shield his eyes from the blast which thickened steadily, gasping for air to breathe. And the wind voiced a howl which arose as alarmingly as the stallions screaming. Stallions! Drew clawed his way up to his knees, but there was no seeing through that murk to where Shiloh had been. Then he was on his feet, stumbling along. The big gray must be hidden somewhere. Drew! A figure blundered into him from behind, almost sending him to the ground again. Get down, you fool! Hands clutched at his body, trying to pull him earthward. Let me go. Shiloh. Get down. Anse's whole weight struck him and he fell, the Texan sprawling with him. It was only then that he heard the splatter of rifle fire and understood that they were in the middle of an exchange of lead slug. Keep down, Anse, his voice, ragged with anger, snapped the command into Drew's ears. What in thunder are you trying to do? You've gone completely loco, amigo. Walking right out to get yourself shot like them bullets was nothing but pecans or something like. For the first time, Drew realized what he had done. Blown Rennie's carefully planned traps sky high. His shot at the Pinto must have been warning enough for the fugitives. But why were they trying to make a fight of it now? When the cut and run would have been the smartest move. Unless, having seen only one man, they believed he was alone. He tried to rub the dust from his eyes and think coherently. But all that was in the forefront of his mind was that last sight of Shiloh following the Pinto to battle. All right, Drew shifted in Anse's hold. It's all right. Not that it was, but at least that was the best way he could express his return to reason. And the Texan appeared to understand, for his grip loosened. The dust which had blown up an opaque curtain, dropped as quickly. They lay together on the far side of the ridge, but the space below was empty. They saw no men, no battling horses, nothing. They've hightailed it, someone called from the crest of the ridge. I tell you, I got one of them. He's over between those two bushes. He pulled up to take up that fellow running and went out of the saddle. Other man got his horse and lit out. Drew stood up. Where you going now? Anse demanded. Where do you think? The Kentuckian answered dully after Shiloh. He went on foot down the slope, across the open where the gray had unseated his rider and turned to take up the Pinto's challenge. Since the horses were no longer in sight, there was only one way they could have gone, to the east. Drew was in the open when another of those wild sand and dust flurries caught him, buffeted here and there, staggering, his arm up over his face, he was driven by its force until he brought up against the rock wall. 
With that as a guide, he kept on stubbornly, because once more he had heard the scream of the Pinto. In triumph, Drew shivered under a thrust of fear which left him sick. He was sure that that murderous red-and-white devil had finished off Shiloh. Along the wall, keep going. The dust was thinning again. Drew's hand was on the colt Topham had supplied. Dispenser lay back on the ridge. But if any kind of fortune favored him now, he was going to shoot the Pinto, if it was the last thing he ever did. There was a clear space ahead once more. The sullen gray sky gave only dulled light, but enough to see by. Drew had heard many stories of the fury of the stallion battle, and he had seen fearsome scars ridging the hides of two of the range studs. But actually witnessing such a battle shook him. Teeth, hoofs, blood on Shiloh's shoulder and flanks, a strip of flesh dangling. But Drew saw that the pinto was marked, too. The wild horse was trying for a final throat grip, and... Shiloh was on the defensive, running, wheeling to kick, once getting home, on the pinto's ribs, so that the spotted horse squealed with pain. Shiloh had a torn ear and a gash open on his neck. The two battlers twisted and turned in a mad fury of movement. Drew edged on, colt ready, but the fire now was impossible. The pinto's hoofs crashed against the saddle, and Shiloh gave ground. With a scream of triumph, the wild one's head snaked out, teeth ready to set on the larger horse's throat. Hopelessly, Drew shot. It was all he could do. The white and red head tossed. Shiloh had wrenched back. The pinto drove against the gray and crashed down. It lay kicking as the larger horse hit out with forefeet, bringing them heavily down on the pinto. The pinto let out a cry of rage and pain that seemed to startle even Shiloh. The gray backed away from his writhing enemy and stood shivering, his head outstretched, nostrils distended. Drew fired for the second time, and the helpless kicking was stilled. Shiloh moved, limping. Blood matted with dust stained his coat, making him almost as red and white as the rain stud. Drew holstered the colt and went to his horse, crooning softly as he caught one of the chewed and broken reins. He was trying to examine what seemed to him terrible wounds when Shiloh started neighing. The Kentuckian looked back. Anse and Rennie, with Teodoro and Chino bringing up the rear, were coming. The young mustanger went to look down at the pinto. He is dead. That was an observation rather than a question. Teodoro knelt in the dust, drew his knife, and cut loose strands of the long mane hair. I shot him. Drew was more intent on Shiloh's wounds. He was killing Shiloh. He pushed back the thought that although his horse was still on his feet, the pinto might have killed him after all. Except for horses ripped by shell fire in battle, Drew had never seen any wounds such as these. He was deadly afraid that those two bullets had not really saved the stud. Let's have a look, Chino. Bring my saddlebags. Hunt Rennie was beside Drew. Can you lead him back to the waterhole, he asked. See if he'll walk. Somehow they did it. Drew and Ants... Rennie and Teodoro. They coaxed, led, supported Shiloh when they could, and brought him to the waterhole. And then they worked to stop the weakening flow of blood. 
Drew kept the young horse quiet while Rennie stitched up the worst of the tears. He'll do. Rennie washed his hands. Can't move him for some time, though. He must have given a good account of himself, meeting that murderer for the first time. Lucky. Sir, Drew found it difficult to face Rennie. As his anxiety over the horse's condition had faded, he had had time to think of something beyond his own affairs. I want to say thanks. He got that out in a rush before he added the admission he must make. I spoiled your plans to take Kitchell. Rennie's dark eyes held his, as they had always been able to do. Then Drew had the odd sensation that the two of them were all alone in a place not bound by space or time. Don't say you're sorry. If you did, I wouldn't believe you. You made the move you had to. If it had been Oro out there, I would have done the same. Drew responded to that impulsively. You're generous, sir. His father's black brows drew together in a slight frown. Generous? No, that's the truth. As for losing Kitchell, we may not have. Those who got away have Greyfeather Nye and others on their trail, and I do not think they will find such hunters easy to fool. Also, we have a prisoner. Don Cazar's acceptance of their failure was so placid that Drew was led to make a wild guess. Not Kitchell himself. Rennie smiled. No, we weren't that lucky. You must have had the lion's share of that commodity here today. We have a Mexican name unknown. He was shot down while trying to pick up the rider Shiloh got rid of, who just might have been Kitchell. But this prisoner may be moved to tell us about the three who got away. If these windstorms keep up, they could powder over the trail, and the boys will need help. The Mexican, his shoulder bandaged, was propped against the saddle they had taken from Shiloh. He stared at them sullenly, his gaze finally centering on Don Cazar, when they took places opposite him. Some of that coffee for him, Chino, Rennie called. Herrera brought over a tin cup from the fire now blazing. As the Mexican took it awkwardly with his left hand, still watching Rennie glassily over the brim, the latter used fluent Spanish, only a word or two of which Drew understood. The man grunted, and then was assailed by Chino in a hotter flow of his native tongue, until Rennie silenced the vaquero's outburst with a wave of hand and spoke again. Drew sniffed the aroma of the bacon Donnelly was frying, his stomach protesting plaintively. "'What are they saying?' he whispered to Anse. Old man pointed out nice and plain what the Mex is in for, lest he speaks up. This hombre, Rennie thinks maybe he don't run regular with Kitchell. More than likely, he came up from the south, could be to guide the gang back there someplace. If the Mexican prove that, the old man promises to talk for him with the law. So far, he ain't said nothing much in answer. They ate. The prisoner's round face expressed surprise when Rennie had him provided with an equal share. He sucked his greasy fingers avidly after he had wolfed down his portion. A moment later he asked a question of his own. Rennie replied, nodding vigorously, as if to make assent more emphatic. Anse translated. The Mex wanted to know if the old man meant what he said about talking up to the law. If so, he may loosen his jaw some. I'd say, if he's a guide from down there, 
he wouldn't be too set on covering for Kitchell. Not when that might mean getting his own neck stretched. Yeah, now he's beginning to run over at the lip. The prisoner did loose a flood of words. Rennie and Chino listening intently. Donley coming to stand behind the others. Drew guessed by his changing expression that the Anglo rider was as much at home in Spanish as Ants. The Kentuckian regretted his own ignorance. The few words he had picked up along the trail from Texas certainly were no help now. The Mexican wiped his good hand up and down the front of his worn jacket, and then smoothed a patch of soil. On it he drew lines and explained each of them, much as Hilario Triffin had done for the horse-hunters days earlier. "'What's he saying now?' Drew demanded of Vance. "'That it's true. He was sent to guide Kitchell south. That train of horses and loot was the gang's prime pickings. Some of it was to grease their way in with his hombre's patron. Don't know who he is, some ex-general of such. Kitchell, he rode behind because he had waited for a gringo to meet him. They was making up time when they heard the fighting going on in the pass. Kitchell headed back here to fill canteens. The Mex was going to guide him south by another trail, one he knows. He's laying it out for the old man now. It's a pretty rough one. They have to take it slow. Could be we could catch up before Kitchell makes it, especially since he don't have this Mex leading him now. When it was necessary, Rennie could move fast. He was on his feet, giving orders almost before Ants had finished the translation. Their party was to be split in two. Drew and Ants were to stay with the wounded Mexican and Shiloh and prepare to defend the waterhole if the outlaws made a second attempt to come in. The rest of them would ride for an already designated rendezvous point where they would meet the party sent to trace the fugitives. Why do I stay, sir? Ants protested when Don Cazar had finished. You can tend that arm better on the ground than in the saddle. Ain't no hurt there any more. Ants hurriedly pulled it from the sling. Anyways, that ain't my shooting hand, neither. But one look at Hunt Rennie's face reduced him to muttering. Drew watched their preparations quietly. Then he gathered up two canteens and filled them at the water hole, went back to loop their carry straps over Hunt Rennie's saddle horn. Ants had a bad arm, so it was right that he should not go chasing hell for leather over rough country. But Drew Rennie, he was left because he was useless in another way. He was a man who could not be depended upon, who had sprung their trap because he cared more for a horse than he did for the success of Rennie's mission. And in a way, Hunt Rennie was perfectly just in that judgment. If it were all to do over again, Drew knew he would make exactly the same choice. Shiloh was his, about the only good thing he had ever possessed or might ever have in the future. If, in order to keep Shiloh, he had to give up what he knew now, was a very vague dream, he would surrender the dream every time. Although he knew that was the truth, the Kentuckian was desperately unhappy as he made a lengthy business of adjusting the canteens. About the worst words one could ever speak or think were, too late. This was all too late, twenty years too late. They might have had something good together, he and Hunt Rennie, now it was too late. 
As Drew heard the crunch of boots on gravel close behind him, he swung around. Full canteens, he blurted out, and then ashamed of his own confusion, he forced himself to look straight at his father. Good luck, sir. We'll need it. I'm leaving you, Jose. He'll do some prowling. Wouldn't do for you to be jumped by Apaches. If we don't come back in three or four days, and Shiloh's able to travel, you take the Mexican and head back to the stronghold. Understand? I mean that. Yes, sir. Drew had lost his right to protest, lost at the instant he had betrayed their ambush. Now he turned quickly and hurried to where Shiloh stood. The last thing he wanted to see was Hunt Rennie ride away. Ants kicked earth over the fire when they were gone. No use showing smoke, he remarked, and Drew readily agreed. The horses, with the exception of Shiloh, were hobbled and allowed the restricted freedom of the pocket-sized meadow running back from the waterhole. Ants and Drew divided the night into two-hour watches. Don't see how, as they'd be fool enough to try chewing back on their trail again, though, Ants commented, they need water. According to what this guide of theirs says, they'll need it doubly bad before they finish that road of his. They might just be crazy enough to try here. Men have gotten away with tricks such as that before. Drew, Ants was only a shadow among shadows, a voice out of the dark now. You've made up your mind about what you're going to do when this is all over? Pull out. California, maybe. I don't know. Sure you don't want to stay? No. Drew put explosive emphasis into his reply. A man can be too stubborn and stiff-necked for his own good. A man has to do what he has to do, Drew snapped. I'm turning in. Give me the nudge when it's time. He rolled in a blanket, settled himself with his colt close to hand, and lay gazing up into the cloudy sky. What was the matter with him, anyway? All he had to do was to stick to his decision, and that was the best one for him. Resolutely, he closed his eyes and tried to will his mind to blank, himself into slumber. Drew! Before his eyes were fairly open, his one hand was reaching for the colt, only to meet a numbing blow on the wrist. The Kentuckian rolled in instinctive reaction, and a second, body-jarring stroke caught him in the ribs. He was left gasping, still not fully aware of what had happened. All right, you, on your feet. A hand hooked in the collar of his coat to jerk him up. Somehow Drew did find his feet and stood bent over, his hands to his bruised side, breathing in small, painful gasps. A rib had either been broken in that assault or it was cracked. There were two, three, four figures moving in the moonlight. Then the one fronting him turned, and he saw the face clearly. Shannon. Only three of them, Benito and these two. One of the others reported. How's Benito? There was authority in that inquiry, but it came from the one man who kept well back in the shadows. Got him a hold shoulder. Able to ride? Don't know, sir. He'd better be. We need him to find Gravero. These two we don't need. That's where you're wrong, Colonel. This here's about the best cover we could get us now, Shannon laughed. Mr. Drew Rennie. Come out of Kentucky to find his pa. Touching story, ain't it? Real touching. 
like something out of a book. Well, does his pa find us? His sonny boy'd be really handy now, wouldn't he? You have a point, Shannon. We'll take him. And the other one, Colonel, sir? Kitchell, if Kitchell that shadow was, came out into the moonlight. He wore the gray shell jacket of a Confederate cavalryman, and the light glinted on the cords of a field officer's hat. Who are you, boy? He faced to the left, and Drew looked in the same direction. And stood there, the barrel of a colt pressed against him just above the belt line. Anson Kirby. Shannon laughed again. Another big man says he rode with General Forrest. That true, Kirby? You were one of General Forrest's command? It's true, Anstrawed. Means nothing now. The war's long gone, hombre. Maybe it's over back east, not here. You stayed to the end, boy? Yankees took me prisoner before that. Sergeant Wayne? Yes, sir. Anse's captor responded. Put him to sleep. End of chapter 17